Rigor of Florida True Crime Podcast. I'm Karen Curtis, your host this week. Well, we're going to talk about another murder, this time the murder of Bobby Kent. Bobby Kent. So the last name Kent actually was my father's mother's maiden name, Vivian Kent from Leroy, Michigan. And they lived on Main Street in Leroy, which has maybe 468 people living in the town. Population 468. Uh, And my grandfather, Harold Curtis, married Vivian Kent, who was a school teacher in the town. And they ended up, actually, they named the street after my grandmother's parents, Kent Street. So their actual address was Kent and Main, Leroy, Michigan, population 468. My grandfather, Harold Curtis, ended up being the sheriff and the mayor of Leroy. So he was like the man in Leroy and Kent Street named after my grandmother. So Vivian Kent, I think, is such a beautiful name. In fact, I don't know if you binge watched Inventing Anna on Netflix, but the reporter in the story's name was Vivian Kent. I sometimes use it as a nom de plume. Just a little background on me. But this is a story about the death of Bobby Kent. Absolutely no relation. In 1993, he was 20, and he was found beaten and stabbed to death in the Florida swamp. Time to call Sheriff Grandpa Curtis on this one. (laughs) Yeah, right. With his one bullet, he shot his middle toe off. I kid you not. Anywho, it was a very bizarre story. It unfolded. It's a love-hate relationship full of sex, jealousy, and revenge. I thought this would be perfect for full rigor. Actually... Spawned a movie, Bully, in 2001. It was inspired by the murder of Bobby Kent. Is he dead yet? Getting there. Mom, what if you witnessed a crime, like a murder? What are you kids up to, Allie? You killed Bobby. You murdered Bobby Kent? I wouldn't even say they murdered him. I mean, he was fighting back. Yeah, it was a group of middle-class kids, most of them dropouts from high school, How do they become killers? It's a pack mentality, apparently. What starts out as an idea or a fantasy only becomes reality when one of the people in the group acts on it. And then one, that that act by that one person unleashes the acts of the others. It gives permission to the others to act out violently. And in some cases, it stimulates violence. Yeah, we've seen it. So, the characters are, there's Marty Puccio, who is Bobby Kent's best friend. I mean, they're like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. They go everywhere together. They're childhood friends. And as they grow older, they become closer and closer. And so, what breeds contempt, familiarity? And, you know, they said that Bobby Kent was a bully and that he bullied Marty Puccio, but in some sick way, Marty liked being abused by him. And apparently they were unusually close. When I seen one, the other one's always around. They're like the two M&Ms in the commercial, red and yellow. When you seen one, the other one's around. Here's a forensic psychologist who's familiar with this case. This sounded almost like a fatal masochistic relationship that was going on between Puccio and Bobby Kent. Young boys and girls can kind of play these games where one of them is the instigator of violence and the other one is the recipient. And there's something um, very satisfying about it to both of them psychologically. So kind of weird. And then you've got Marty Puccio's got a girlfriend who's a little bit chubby and 
you know, Bobby Kent liked to call her Shamu, Lisa Connolly, and she was very, very thin-skinned about the whole thing. So she did not like Bobby Kent, and she thought that he was leading her boyfriend, Marty Puccio, down the wrong path. In fact, her cousin even said that she loved Marty so much because she's like chunky and... Marty has got like a ripped physique because he and Bobby Kent got into working out together at the gym. And there's a whole other story I'll get into about that. But here's what her cousin said about Lisa Connolly and how much she was obsessed with her boyfriend, Marty Puccio. If Marty would have told my cousin to get up on a roof and do a half gate or land in the grass, you know, she would ask, do you want a 10 point dot? If she would have done it. We all know girls like that, you know? Oh, boy. So... Bobby Kent was the son of Iranian immigrants, Fred and Farah Kent. They're originally, their last name was Kayam. It's a couple of silent letters here, K-H-A-Y-A-M. He went to South Broward High School in South Florida, in Hollywood, Florida. And according to one attorney that prosecuted all the conspirators for his murder, he described Kent as like Eddie Haskell. We all know Eddie Haskell was a bully. Just ask the beeve. I did like that any much. Now I hate him worse than ever. Yeah, he is kind of a miserable guy. You know, I wouldn't like him at all if he wasn't my best friend. Nobody likes you, Eddie. Not even Wally, and he's your best friend. And all the parents loved him in the neighborhood, but the kids looked at him a little bit differently. And Marty Puccio, his best friend, an Italian-American and was raised Catholic. Kent and Puccio had known each other since the third grade. They lived on the same block in Hollywood. And both sets of parents, the Kents and the Puccios, were wary of their friendship. So Puccio's parents were concerned because Marty often returned from being with Kent, bleeding or covered in bruises. And Fred Kent thought of Puccio as a wayward slacker who had no future. I mean, he was a high school dropout. And whereas Kent wanted to finish high school, go to college, he wanted to start his own car stereo business, and he wanted to follow in his father's business as well. So he had like a future. He had aspirations of doing something with his life and this whole other group of people that he was hanging out with they were all high school dropouts and had nothing better to do with their time but to commit a murder it's like a message he's got something against this person this was like one of the worst cases of human behavior that i've ever seen and i've seen a lot of so as the two got older the relationship really started to sour there was bad blood especially after puccio started to date lisa connelly she knew that there was, as I said, a love-hate relationship between Kent and Puccio and that they were not going to split up unless it's almost like in a divorce case. Uh, some divorces are not over until one of them is dead. Yeah. So as they got older and left their teen years and got into their 20s, the boys spent a lot of time at the gym. And then later, the group of friends testified that both boys used steroids and that Kent's already aggressive personality worsened from the drugs that does happen you get what's called roid rage and puccio and kent were also involved in the gay prostitution subculture it was rampant in south florida at the time especially in broward county uh, and to what degree is largely unknown if they were actually having a relationship together and with other men but they produced a gay porn film with this old guy that they met at the gym it was really bizarre video consisted of the man standing in front of the camera and dancing naked and performing certain sex acts on himself. 
I don't know the details of why they were able to get him to do it. I don't believe that they paid him. I think this grew out of a relationship between the three. That's audio from Forensic Files, and that's the actual author of the book Bully, Jim Schutz. But it's speculated that Kent was pimping out Puccio at clubs. At least he got him to dance at these clubs, and he would get tips, and he would give Bobby half of his tips. And that became a source of agitation, at least for Marty Puccio, because he wanted to stop dancing or doing whatever he was doing at these gay clubs, and Bobby Kent wouldn't let him. He threatened him. And toward the beginning of 1993, Puccio, who was 20 at the time, began dating Lisa Connolly. She was 18, and again, she was chunky and self-conscious about her weight, and Bobby called her Shamu for the killer whale because she was fat, and Lisa was obsessed with Marty, who had a hard body. So Lisa was also frustrated by how much time Puccio spent with Kent, as well as Kent's treatment of Puccio, and she tried to distract Kent from Puccio by setting up her friend, Alice Allie Willis, who was 17 at the time, up with Kent, who had some very strange sexual proclivities. And Kent and Willis dated for a few weeks, but she ultimately ended the relationship because he was abusive. She said he raped her. And in June, Puccio confided to Connolly that Kent had been abusive to him quite often over the years. And Connolly tried to convince him to end the friendship, but it was kind of like over his dead body, literally. But Puccio seemed hesitant. I don't know what he had on him that, you know, maybe this whole gay scene was being held over his head or something. And by this time, Connolly knew she was pregnant with Puccio's child. There was some question that it might have been Kent's child, but she's pregnant. So she was bound to determine to pursue a permanent relationship with Puccio. So on July 13th, 1993, Connolly called Willis and told her that Bobby Kent was planning to come to Palm Bay, where Willis was living, and murder her and smother her baby by previous relationship unless she returned to Broward County to date him again. Willis claimed Connolly asked her to come to Connolly's house to discuss murdering Bobby Kent. Willis went to Connolly's house and brought two friends, her current boyfriend, whose name was Donald Semenik, who was 17, and Heather Swallers, who was 18. Now, don't get confused by all these names. There's a lot of names. So on the night of July 13th, 1993, Puccio, Semenik, Swallers, Connolly, and Willis met with Kent, and Puccio and Semenik and Swallers became uncomfortable and left. Connolly and Willis lured Kent to a new development under construction with the promise that he would be able to drive Willis's Mustang 5.0 and have sex with her. Connolly had brought her mom's pistol, intending to kill Kent while he was distracted with having sex with Willis, but she was unable to pull the trigger, mostly because she was afraid the gun would be traced back to her mom. So despite that failed attempt, Connolly still wanted Kent dead. And so the next night is when everything went down. So on the night of July 14th, a group of six of them, including a new guy named Derek Kaufman, who was going to be like, he's the only one that was familiar with murder, I guess. They asked Kent to accompany them to a secluded canal area in Weston where Willis and Swallers distracted Kent as Semenik came up behind him and plunged a knife into his neck. Forensic evidence, yes. You would say that this person had been ripped apart as if by animals. So Bobby's been stabbed in the neck and he's pleading with Puccio to help him. As an answer, Puccio then comes up in front of him, stabs him in the stomach, and then as he falls down, bleeding profusely, he slits his throat. Marty started coming to him. He's like, oh, Marty, I'm bleeding. Marty just gutted him. 
Bobby then calls to Marty, my God, and, and says, I'm sorry for whatever I've done and begs for mercy. Marty straddles Bobby and takes his hunting knife and slits his throat. It was like everything stopped. This was one of the worst cases of human behavior that I've ever seen. If anyone says a word about this, I swear I will kill them. After seeing three people brutally kill somebody and like hunt him down, how could I not believe him, you know? And it's just, I, this scared me to death. So again, that's Lisa Connolly's cousin, Derek DeVerco, who was at the murder. And he's talking about Derek Kaufman, who didn't even know Bobby Kent, but finished him off with a baseball bat. The teens then rolled the body into the marsh. They thought that alligators would eat him where he was lying, but no, his body was later found. So a few days later, one of the teens was guilt-ridden and contacted the Broward County Sheriff's Office, and he took him to Kent's body, which was still lying there, but now had, you know, lots of maggots and flies and stuff, so they could tell how long he had been lying there. It may be very impossible, uh, just given the, the stage of decomposition, to come up with an estimate of time of death. That's why we use the maggots, because the maggots are a quantitative method of using a natural science means of establishing the uh, time interval of death. So that's forensic entomologist Neil Haskell trying to determine the time of death, and then investigators had to determine the murder weapons. The group assembled their weapons. Between them, they had two knives, a lead pipe, and a baseball bat. Can you say overkill? I guess they left the gun out because it could be traced back to Connolly's mom. Is he dead yet? Getting there. So the days following the murder, many of the conspirators confessed, like Lisa Connolly told her mom, but she painted it like it was in self-defense because she said that Bobby Kent was a bully and he deserved it. Mom, what if you witnessed a crime, like a murder? And not only did Lisa Connolly say that it was because he was a bully, she also said she had nothing to do with the physical murder. She didn't cut him with a knife. She didn't hit him in the head with a baseball bat. She didn't shoot him. So I didn't have anything to do with the murder. Well, that's not the way the law saw it. Under any other circumstance, they wouldn't have done something like this. But they all get together. They're doing drugs. They're talking about it. Lisa Connolly was the ringleader behind this whole thing. She's the one who orchestrated it. She's the one who had a motive for for Bobby being out of the way. Lisa Connolly was the, the dynamic leader in the group, wanted Kent out of the picture, initiated it. And she was the one that wanted Kent out of the picture because Kent was interfering with her relationship with Puccio. You know, each said they had nothing to do with the murder, and they pointed to each of the other ones. There were seven separate trials. They were all convicted of murder and conspiracy to commit murder. I mean, three of the seven didn't even know Kent. They had never met him before the night of the murder. But Puccio knew him, and he made a big mistake. When he got home after the murder, he called Bobby Kent's home and left a message on the answering machine. I called you. You asked me to call you when I got home. Well, Bobby Kent's dad heard that message and called police because he thought something was up and he was suspicious of Puccio. So police called Puccio in and asked him a few questions. Do you have any personal knowledge as to... They also called Lisa Connolly in, his girlfriend, and asked her. Do you know who had anything to do with Bobby's disappearance? If I knew, I would tell you. So the notorious Florida case was outlined in the best-selling 1998 book, Bully, 
a true story of high school revenge. And then the film adaptation in 2001 came out. The movie Bully was directed by Larry Clark. And today, many of the individuals behind the murder of Bobby Kent are free, roaming around society, including Lisa Connolly, the ringleader, who now lives in Pennsylvania and has two children. Can you imagine? Uh, Mommy, um, are you a murderer? No, dear. Her ex-boyfriend, Marty Puccio, was serving a life sentence and has reportedly gone into the jail ministry. They kept in touch because she had Puccio's baby. There was some question whether or not it was Kent's baby, but one of those kids, obviously, is going to be Puccio's baby. Marty was saying no with his, because they were saying she slept with both of them. And I, I asked her, I asked her to be really honest with me, and she said no. She never slept with Bobby Kent. After he was convicted of murdering his friend, Puccio was given the death penalty, but that was later commuted to life in prison. So now he's found God. He's got a daughter with the girl who convinced him to kill his friend. It's very unclear what really happened here. If Bobby Kent was a bully and he deserved what he got, we'll never really know. But it just goes to show you what happens to teenagers who have a lot of time on their hands and not a lot of supervision. These are middle-class kids from South Florida and how they ended up becoming murderers is anybody's guess. I want to also remind you that I have a book that I wrote called The Accuser. It's available on Kindle, and it's also available in paperback. You can find it on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble. Love it if you would read it. It's a true crime story about the girl who was gang-raped in New Bedford on a pool table. And they made the movie The Accused out of it with Jodie Foster. Well, she died down here on a South Florida roadway before the movie even came out. Find out why I think she was murdered in my book, The Accuser. So thanks for listening to this episode of Full Rigor. I really appreciate it. Be sure to subscribe and download my episodes and give me some feedback. I always love to hear from you. That wraps up Full Rigor. So thanks for listening. Until next time.